Here to, the, to Acts chapter 5, we're going to read from verse 17 through verse 42 in this, this whole event. In fact, why don't we start by reading that? We'll read through that and then we'll uh, take some, some thoughts from it. It says here, Then the high priest rose up and all those who were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with indignation. Um, of course, remembering that what's just happened Ananias and Sapphira died, but then God empowered the church and many were being saved. And the apostles were doing signs and wonders and the gospel was going out to be saved. The result of that, uh, that work of God is they are filled with hatred. Uh, and so verse 18, and laid their hands on the apostles. So this time it's not just Peter and John, it's all of the apostles and put them in the common prison. But at night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, go stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard that, they entered the temple early in the morning and taught. But the high priest and those with him came and called the council together with all the elders of the children of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came and did not find them in the prison, they returned and reported, saying, Indeed, we found the prison shut securely and the guards standing outside before the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now, when the high priest, the captain of the temple and the chief priest heard these things, they wondered what the outcome would be. So one came and told them, saying, look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain went with the officers and brought them without violence, for they feared the people, lest they should be stoned. And, they, and when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest asked them, saying, Did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood on us. But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men the god of our fathers raised up jesus whom you murdered by hanging on a tree him god has exalted to his right hand to be prince and savior to give repentance to israel and forgiveness of sins and we are witnesses to these things and so also is the holy spirit whom god has given to those who obey him when they heard this they were furious and plotted to kill them then one in the council stood up, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in respect by all the people and commanded them to put the apostles outside for a little while. And he said to them, men of Israel, take heed to yourselves what you intend to do regarding these men. For some time ago, Thutis rose up claiming to be somebody. A number of men, about 400, joined him. He was slain and all who obeyed him were scattered and came to nothing. After this man, Judas of Galilee rose up in the days of the census and drew away many people after him. He also perished and all who obeyed him were dispersed. And now I say to you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this work is of men, it will come to nothing. But if it is of God, you cannot overthrow it, lest you even be found to fight against God. And they agreed with him. And when they had called for the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. So they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. 
daily in the temple and in every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as Christ. Let's have a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, as we come to your word, we pray for your, your strength, your power. Teach us, fill us with confidence, fill us with boldness, that we might be a people proud of your name and of what you can do in this world. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. On Tuesday mornings, uh, I take an A to school. Now, I say that this is a story about me being a bad father. I take her to school in the mornings uh, on Tuesdays because she has to go early for her, her choir. One morning as we were driving, I said to her, um, I'm going to stop here about a block away from the school and we'll, we'll walk to school from here and I'll hold your hand while we, we walk. And Anaya, like any 12-year-old you know, girl, or boy for that matter, would do, said, no, Dad, you can't do that. I said, yeah, no, no, I'm going to do it. We're just going to pull over here. We'll walk. I'll hold your hand up to school. No, I'll run away, she said. And I said, well, that's fine, because I'll just run down the street saying, Anaya, Anaya, I love you. Come back, Anaya. Why don't you love me? Are you ashamed of me? Uh, of course, that went down really well with, with Anaya. Um, because she is embarrassed of her father. Uh, I'm not ashamed of you. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of reasons why, why young people, we all went through that, didn't we? Ashamed or embarrassed to be seen with our parents in one form or another, or, or embarrassed about certain things of, of who we are. And in part, that's how we're, we're going to talk this morning, is this idea of, of being unashamed of Jesus Christ and what that means for us in our lives and our witness for Jesus Christ. This is this has always been one of my favorite passages and, and perhaps one of yours because it's it's so funny, isn't it? It's just it's a hilarious, it's a tragic comedy. Uh, and we'll see some of that as we, we go through. But there's so much to learn here. We we learn as uh, one of the things we see is is it shows us this the gospel is unstoppable. No matter what, what we think, and no matter what the world does, and no matter how hard it is for us to be a testimony of Christ in the world and, and the opposition that may or may not come to us in its different forms, the gospel cannot be stopped, no matter how hard anyone tries. And because the gospel cannot be stopped, it is an encouragement to us to not stop witnessing, to not be afraid to step out and to speak the name of Jesus Christ. So this morning, we want to talk about being unashamed, about being bold, but unashamed of the name of Jesus Christ. And there's a few things I want to draw from this as we do. Firstly, we want to be unashamed to go and proclaim. And I'm sorry, I haven't got notes. I had them and forgot to print them and, and bring them. So I'll try and, for those that like the outline, I'll try and make it as clear as I can. But firstly, unashamed to go and proclaim. What we see first here is that as the people of God, we are going to endure suffering. We're going to endure suffering, and we suffer with Jesus. Here, the apostles, as they are ministering, and as they are, are spreading the gospel through Jerusalem, and then it's, of course, spreading through the world, they are thrown in, in prison, in the common prison. Now, the common prison then is not like the common prison here. The common prison then was you were completely reliant on other people to support you. you there was no food. There was nothing. You, you were stuck in a hole in the ground, basically, 
to survive. So they were put in this common prison because they were so despised, particularly by the Sadducees, but really the whole ruling elite. The gospel which we present, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that his death, burial, and resurrection is a revolutionary message. It is radical in what we present and what we say as the gospel. Your spirit-filled people preaching Jesus Christ will make waves. You can't do anything but that. In a society like ours, where it's ruled by sin because of our sinful nature, when we start preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's going to cause disruption. And that's what's happening here. Opposition to us and, and trial are certain to come. There is no doubt of that. Paul said in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 10, says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship or the partnership of his sufferings. Ours isn't as deep as Christ. Hebrews even tells us we have not yet endured temptation to death, but Christ certainly did. So our suffering for the gospel, our suffering for uh, the salvation of people is not going to be nearly as deep as Jesus, but we are still partakers in, in fellowship. We, we share that same suffering as Jesus for presenting the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're the suffering and the opposition that we will face, that we will endure as as Christians presenting the gospel comes in many forms. It can be physical suffering and physical opposition, certainly, and we see that in the world, and, and increasingly so. It can be emotional and spiritual suffering, where it's an opposition from family or friends or trouble or the, the spiritual battles that we face while we're, we're doing it. Because the reality is we know that the tragic truth of the gospel is that Jesus divides families and he, he brings opposition and he brings ridicule and he, he, it brings rejection and humiliation and oppression. These things all come to us in one form or another as we suffer with Jesus for the sake of the gospel. While it is true that we suffer with Jesus, that we partake in his suffering by presenting his message, it is also true that we suffer for Jesus. Our suffering isn't without purpose. The opposition that we face, no matter what form it comes in, whether it, it, it be the ultimate sacrifice of giving our life or it's simply the ridicule and the rejection of our friends and family and, and those around us that, that do it, no matter what form it comes in, our, our suffering is never without purpose. And you know what the real sad tragedy of our modern Christian society is, is that many people who claim to be Christians have figured out a way to call themselves Christians and not endure any suffering. We can live in this world and, and do it. If, if this happens, if we can, if we can live uh, and call ourselves a Christian but not endure any kind of opposition for Christ, the reality is we're doing it wrong because Christ makes waves. And when we live for Christ and we present Christ, it is going to cause opposition. The suffering, the opposition that we face comes because we pursue the same purpose as Jesus it comes because we are pursuing to see lost people saved from their sins. We present the gospel so that people will be rescued from darkness, will be saved from their sin. Jesus and the gospel are divisive. 
We ought not to be ashamed to proclaim the truth and to believe the truth of Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, which says, nor is there salvation in any other name. There is only Jesus. And though in our suffering we suffer with Jesus and we suffer for Jesus, we are supported by Jesus. Here, as the apostles suffer for Jesus, being put in this prison, they are not there alone. And God comes and he does here a uniquely miraculous moment for them to rescue them. But whenever God's people suffer, whenever God's people suffer, he is present. He is always present in their suffering and in their opposition. Through his word, through the presence and power of his spirit, through the church and those that, that minister, he encourages us in our suffering for Jesus because he knows what it's like. He has endured the suffering. He has endured the rejection. He has endured the ridicule. The ridicule. He knows what it's like to be opposed and to be hated. He knows what it's like for your family to reject you. He knows what it's like to be laughed at, mocked and scorned. He knows what it's like to be beaten and, and killed. He knows all of it. Which is why the writer of the Hebrews says, For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. Because he knows. Because he knows he's able to help. If you're going to live for Jesus in this world, you will suffer for him. There is nothing sure than that. Don't shy away from it. Don't be afraid of the suffering that is going to come by being uh, one of Christ's people. First Peter chapter 2 and verse 20 says, For what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. Here's another passage from First Peter. I'll just turn there. First Peter chapter 3. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 13 says, And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But even if you suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it is better, if it is the will of God, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Don't be ashamed of Jesus because of the cost it will be to you. We are not just people who will endure suffering, but we are encouraged by God's presence because we are sent by Jesus. Verse 19, while they're in prison, here comes the great miracle. But at night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, go stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. Now, when the apostles were in prison and the, the angel comes and opens that prison and releases them, he did not release the apostles to go hide. He did not release the apostles so they could escape or that they could run. The angel opens the doors for them 
and releases them and says, go do the very thing that got you in prison. Go preach the gospel. To many, this seems reckless. Because after all, many of these, many of these, these men were family men. They had wives, presumably children as well. So it, you, we often think of this thing that, that was, that's a, a reckless thing, but this was their calling to preach Christ. John Bunyan, the, the great Puritan who wrote Pilgrim's Progress, you know, that being his most famous uh, writings, was imprisoned for uh, preaching the gospel against uh, the, the religious of, of the time. He was put in prison there, and, and for many of you say, well, that, that's reckless, because he just kept preaching even when they told him not to, and finally they, they put him in prison, and he was there. It broke his heart to be separated from his family. His daughter Mary was blind, and he would write letters, and he would write in his journals just how much it broke his heart to be separated from his family. He says, especially from Mary because he knew how much work it was for his family and for her. He says, but I have to be here for Christ. He knew what it was, was like. Now, who wouldn't go and preach the gospel if an angel came and said, go preach the gospel? If you were at home and, and an angel came to you and said, right, get up first thing in the morning, off you go into the city, start preaching. And we go, oh, yeah, of course, yes, an angel's here. I'm not going to say no. So who wouldn't do that, right? But we don't have to be motivated by an angel. We have a greater motivation. An angel hasn't told us to go share the gospel. Jesus has. Jesus told us to go spread the gospel. Matthew 28, verse 19 and 20. Uh, at Mark 16, verse 15. Acts 1, 8. These all verses we know is the Great Commission where Jesus tells us, go and make disciples of all nations. Preach the gospel to every creature. We are commanded by Jesus to be witnesses. The apostles are not told when the gates open, go sit and wait. You know, everything you've done and this miraculous escape, the people will just come. They're not told to just sit and wait. They're told, go and tell. Go out where the people are. Mix. Preach the gospel in the public. Make it known. How are we doing that? You know, our, our message, the message of the gospel, the command that we have is the very same. None of the passages of the Great Commission, none of the places where Jesus tells us to be preachers of the gospel says, wait for people to come. Every single one of them is a command to go. To go amongst the people. We are sent by Jesus and we are sent with Jesus. We are never alone. What have we seen all along through the book of Acts? That at every point along the way, everything the church needs to do, every, every moment of evangelism the church has, the spirit is right there. And it has not changed. He is always here in power. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and you shall receive power. We must believe the truth that the Spirit empowers us and the world. You have no idea how God is using your suffering, how God is using the opposition. 
Here, the apostles are in prison. The Sanhedrin, which is the ruling elite, including Gamaliel here, which we'll get to in a minute, are all there. Very shortly, we're going to see the, the martyrdom of, of Stephen. Now, in all of this, so with the apostles in prison, with all that's going on, who is watching every single thing that goes on here? A man named Saul, who very shortly we're going to find becomes Paul, the great apostle. You have no idea what God is doing through your suffering and through the opposition that you are enduring for Jesus Christ. Be unashamed to go and proclaim. Be unashamed to speak in his name. Verse 20 reminds us, go stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of, his, of this life. Later, down here in verse 30, it says, as Peter speaks on behalf of the apostles, the God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging on a tree. Him, God, has exalted to his right hand to be prince and savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses to these things, and so also is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were furious and plotted to kill them. The angel tells them as he lets them out that they are to go and they are to speak the words of this life, to speak the words of life. The command to go is a command to proclaim the gospel, to command to proclaim life. Right now I'm telling you a story that is not my own story. It's the apostles' story. It's about them. It's not, not my story. Yet, Though I'm telling you the story about someone else, and they are saying that they are witnesses to this, I am a witness to the very same reality, the very same truth. Jesus is life. The testimony that they are witnesses of, that Jesus saves from sin, is the same thing that I know for sure. It is the same thing that I have experienced. It is the same thing that I know. Jesus is life. I've seen this life. I've experienced this life. I've watched this life change others. I'm not ashamed to say I'm a sinner. But Jesus has forgiven me. I know the gospel is real. And as believers in Jesus Christ, you do too. We are witnesses to this life. Because Jesus is life. He makes a way for forgiveness. He makes a way for restoration with God. Jesus did not die by accident. Peter brings this up and he says, he says to them, Yo, Jesus died. You murdered him. He puts the, the Sanhedrin, which is a group of Pharisees and Sadducees together with the high priest, and says, you guys who say you're for God are actually against God. You killed him. And while Peter does that to the Sanhedrin, he is doing the very same thing to every one of us. You killed Jesus. We're all in that place. These are the words people need to hear, that Jesus is life. This, as I said, this is an episode of tragic comedy. You can see it, can't you? You can see it in your head, and, and every time I read it, it brings a smile to my face and makes me laugh. Middle of the night, angel comes, opens the doors, the apostles go out, so the 12 of them go out, the, the doors are closed. The next morning, they go in to get them. 
Doors are locked. Guards are standing there in front of the doors. They're on guard. They open the doors. Guys, where are they? Well, we were here all night. Did they go out the back? Don't know. They close the doors. They go and tell them, we don't know where they are. And the high priest and everybody's going, well, what's going to happen now? What do, we, what do we do? We can't just say they just walked out. It would show how incompetent we are. Now, they are meeting. The Sanhedrin has met that early morning in a room in the temple. So the, the temple grounds, you had the outer court and all, and then around the, the inner court, there was rooms all around the wall. And they had a room there where they met in the temple. So in the temple grounds. They are gathered together there to try and stop the spread of the gospel. While they're in there discussing, we don't know where they are, what's going to happen. The captain of the guard, so the one who's in charge of controlling all the things, comes to the door and knocks and goes, are you guys looking for the apostles? You know they're just out there, don't you? So outside the door where they're meeting saying, how do we stop it? The apostles are standing over there with a big crowd around them telling them about Jesus. It's, it's just, it's hilarious, really, isn't it? it you, they're right there. Oh, oh, right, okay. And they bring them in. The gospel cannot be stopped. No matter how hard you try, the gospel cannot be stopped. Why does God protect his people? Why does he preserve the church? Why are the apostles so persistent? Why did they, when they were released the next morning, go into the temple and begin preaching again? Why do we keep preaching the gospel and sharing the gospel with people despite the fact that we're constantly rejected? Because people need to hear this message. These are the words people need to hear. Verse 33 of our text says they were cut to the heart. The gospel cuts deeply, deep into our soul. And they did so. They proclaimed and they spoke in the, the name of Jesus with fearlessness. Your verse 21 through verse 40 tells the, the story of how they come before the, the, the Sanhedrin there. And, and, and what they do, they, are, they have an unashamed devotion to Jesus. Do you think when the apostles, maybe they didn't sleep the rest of that night, probably too excited, but when they walked into the temple that morning, with the intent to preach the gospel again, knowing, knowing that they would be found. Right? They're not hiding. They're right outside the door from where they were supposed to be being judged. They, they weren't hiding. They knew they would be found. They knew that as soon as they walked into that temple and started preaching, that they would be arrested again. They were very aware of the threats they already had. Do not preach Jesus' name again. This was all fresh in their mind. They knew it. But they did it anyway. They went in knowing that they were going, there was no doubt the Sanhedrin was going to try and arrest them again that day. No doubt. But they weren't going to stop. They went in and they preached the gospel again. You know, obeying the law is important. I'm a rule follower for the most part. But obeying the law is not more important than obeying God. I, I, I believe, 
and probably unknowing. I don't think there's a great conspiracy going on with governments and things like that. But I do believe this. I do believe that, that Satan is using the world and God is, is moving us toward a point where we are being groomed now, probably unknowingly by so many. I don't think it's a great conspiracy to be put in a place where we're going to be questioned, will we obey government more than we will obey God? Why do it when we know it's against the law? They were devoted to God above all. No one, no one can tell me not to preach Jesus. I don't care who you are or where you come from or what your power is, nobody has the authority to tell me not to speak of Jesus, not to proclaim his name. The result of their absolute devotion to God was an absolute devotion to the mission of God. Proclaim the gospel. Speak in his name. Be unashamed to speak in his name. And this is an unashamed emergency. There is advice here from Gamaliel. They are, are told as they speak, Gamaliel goes through and he gives some examples. And his basic advice is, look, just let him go. If this is a thing of God, then we don't want to stop it. It'll be God. But we've seen it happen before. It'll just go to nothing and they'll just go away and we won't have to worry about it. In some cases, maybe that is good advice. In terms of the church and in terms of the gospel, really, really bad advice. This is bad theology. Somebody like Gamaliel, who's supposed to study the Bible, should know better than this. This is bad theology. Just because something succeeds does not mean it is of God. Just because something seems to fail doesn't mean it is not of God. Gamaliel gives bad advice when it comes to the gospel, when it comes to proclaiming the message. The gospel is urgent. Paul never tells us when false teachers come in, just sit back and just see what happens. He says when false teachers come in, you deal with it straight away. The gospel is the same. We do not have time to wait and see. This is a message of urgency. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 6 verse 2, for he says, In an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Hebrews 4, verse 7, again, he designates a certain day, saying in David, Today, after such a long time as it has been said, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Now is the time to repent. We must be calling people to repent. We must be calling people to salvation. Unashamed and unapologetic that people need to believe Christ now. If they're waiting till, till things get better or till things change, it will be too late. Unashamed to go and proclaim, unashamed to speak in his name, unashamed to live for his fame. Verse 41 says, So they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple and in every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Rejoice in your suffering. 
in the opposition we face, the ridicule or the rejection or whatever it is, rejoice in that. Humble yourself. Now, the apostles were unjustly beaten, probably given 39 stripes, because the law said they could give as many as 40, but just to be safe, they always gave 39, just so in case they miscounted, they didn't go over and break the law. So they probably gave them the 39 lashes here with, with the whip, which was unjust. They didn't deserve it. It was really against the law, but they did it anyway. But when the disciples, the apostles leave, having been beaten with the whip, they do not leave bitter. They do not leave seeking revenge. They do not leave saying, you know what, this was unjust. If we go see the Romans, the Romans can do something about this and deal, us, deal justice for us. They didn't do any of that. Instead, it says they leave rejoicing. They were happy to be found worthy to suffer for Jesus. Rejoicing because they shared in Jesus' suffering and in the power of his resurrection. They didn't care what anyone thought. Listen, we, we, including me, we all need to not be worried about our reputation. It really does not matter what people think of us. It really does not matter whether people think we're loonies or kooks or fanatics or fundamentalists. It does not matter. Our reputation does not matter. We need to be like John the Baptist who says, he must increase and I must decrease. Second Corinthians, let me read a few verses here from Second Corinthians chapter 5. Paul has a, a similar idea in how we present ourselves and live for the glory of Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 13, it says, For if we are beside ourselves, that is, if we were madmen, for if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. Or if we are of sound mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ compels us, because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died. He says, you know what? It doesn't matter if people think we're fools. It doesn't matter if people think we're out of our mind crazy. We will do whatever it is because the love of Christ compels me to tell you of Jesus. I do not care what you think of me. I only care what you think of Christ. And I will gladly suffer for his fame. Humble yourself and exalt Christ. 1 Peter 4 tells the same thing. He says, suffer for Jesus. But he also gives us a little addendum there. And if I can paraphrase it like this, Peter says, yes, suffer for Jesus. Speak for Jesus and be bold in, in preaching Jesus. But don't suffer because you're a jerk. This, don't, don't go out being obnoxious and annoying and, and being stupid about who you are. That's not suffering for Jesus. That's suffering because you're a jerk. Suffer for Jesus. Do it the way Jesus would do, with love and compassion and power and strength. Paul says, for me to live is Christ. Let him be seen in all you do. John Bunyan, who I mentioned earlier, said this. If my life is fruitless, it doesn't matter who praises me. And if my life is fruitful, it doesn't matter who criticizes me. Reach out to the world. Verse 28 of our text here in Acts 5 says this, saying, Did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine. 
Make Christ known. Jerusalem was filled with Jesus. I don't think this was an exaggeration. I mean, the church is just booming and growing, and the apostles are in the temple constantly preaching. It's angering. It, the, the, the name of Jesus is everywhere. The people knew the gospel because the disciples were unashamed to preach the gospel. Imagine our neighborhood filled with the knowledge of Jesus. It's what happens when we're unashamed of the gospel, when we make Christ known. How can we make Christ known? We can pray for people and pray with them about their salvation. Talk about Christ. Read your Bible and, and, and read, read books and things while you're out that speak of Christ. I can't tell you how many times I've been sitting in places of work or around at lunchtime reading my Bible or reading a book and somebody will come up and say, what are you reading? And I have a choice. I go, oh, nothing. Well, you know what I'm reading? I remember one day I was sitting out lunch in the, in the middle of the city. Somebody came up and said, what are you reading? Well, I'm reading a book about how to work for Jesus Christ. How I can do my job for Jesus. Sounds interesting. Let's talk. How can we make Christ known and see lives changed? Be unashamed to go and proclaim, to speak in his name, and to live for his fame. Peter says, how will they hear without a preacher? Paul says in Romans, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. What are we afraid of? What is holding us back? What is keeping us from being unashamed, from being bold for Christ, so that Christ can be known in our neighborhood, that the doctrine of Christ fills our neighborhoods, fills our areas, fills our city. We have a wonderful message and a powerful God. And we haven't been given a wait and see order. We've been given a go and tell command. People need to hear the message. How can you do your part to fill your neighborhood, our city, with the knowledge of Christ? It's not a work you can do on your own. You have the spirit to empower you. And you have us to help you, to help minister and guide. So together, let's live unashamed. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, firstly, we confess that many times we have lived ashamed to suffer for your name. We have not been courageous and bold in the message of the gospel. And for this, we are deeply sorry and ask your forgiveness. We pray to you, God, that we would trust in the power and the truth of the Holy Spirit. That our deep devotion to you would motivate us to be deeply devoted to your mission. Because, dear God, we want to see our neighborhoods filled with the doctrine of Christ. That Christ would be known, that lives would be changed. Yes, that will bring opposition and it will bring trouble to us. So give us strength and give us courage that we may boldly proclaim Jesus as Savior.